0: This is just an area that is really exploding in the claims activity area right now.
1: Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at
0: MittenMoney.com
2: what's going on everyone thank you again for tuning in to another great episode of mitt money today kicks off our next series here on the show and before i dive in a question for all the listeners out there when's the last time you've written a check for many of us it could see some time and for a lot of people this process may seem pretty archaic but it is not just in 2021 alone americans sent out over 11 billion checks and so it's pretty safe to say that it's still a pretty large part of our economy However, this also makes it for a growing area of fraud. Cases of check fraud have actually been going up over the past few years. And so I couldn't think of a better series topic to have on to really dive into how business owners and consumers alike can better help protect themselves against fraud. What's also special about this series is that we're bringing back two past mid-money guests, which this is important because this is the first time this has ever happened. I mean, speaking about this, more people have been to outer space than have ever been a repeat guest on the show. So in today's episode, just as some background before we dive into it, I'll be chatting with Todd Gregory and Peter Enwin. Todd is currently the chief lending officer over at First State Bank, while Peter is currently the president and CEO of Saginaw Bay Underwriters. Both have a wealth of experience dealing with this type of fraud, along with many others. So I'm sure you'll find this episode to be insightful. So welcome, Peter and Todd, to Money. So, Peter and Todd, first off, thank you guys for joining today. I continue to hear about fraud on the news, in the paper, on TV, and in many forms is on the rise. Can you guys share what you've been seeing with respect to fraud and specifically now the Todd within the banking sector?
1: Thanks, William. Obviously, very timely topic. We see it, we hear it. If you've been unfortunate to actually have experienced it, it is definitely out there. With regards to bank fraud, very similar type of trends. It's also on the increase. in fact, in preparation of this, I thought I'd just share a couple stats out there that support the comment about specifically bank fraud. First one, U.S. businesses will lose an average of 5% of their gross revenues as a result of fraud. Check fraud accounts for approximately 60% of all fraud against U.S. financial institutions. In 2022, bank check fraud related filings grew by approximately 100 percent from the previous year, so significant increase. And this is going to be a little bit of an offlier, but you'll understand, because I'll get to this a little bit later, during the 12-month period, March of 20 to 21, the United States Postal Service communicated that mail theft had increased by 161 percent. And again, I'll get to that in a second. So I think what might be helpful is to maybe define bank fraud here a little bit. And I'm going to speak to really two different types. The first one being ACH or wire. And just real simply, what that means is it's illegal or unauthorized electronic transfer of funds, funds moving from one account at one bank to another, illegally unauthorized. And then we have check fraud. And again, I'll kind of keep it simple, but three predominant ways that we're seeing check fraud. One, check is just simply stolen and an individual attempts to legally endorse it and cash it more often it's really deposited. Two, a criminal has gotten their hands on a check and they attempt to change it or what's called wash the check. And often the attempt is to change the payee on the check along with the dollar amount. And then third type of check fraud that you see out there is simply the duplication of a check. All kind of scary stuff. But what I would say on the positive side, the good news is that there are very simple, I guess I'd say, activities or behaviors that as an individual, specifically businesses, business owners, those who are responsible for the business books and the banking specific things that they can do to protect themselves to reduce the opportunity for fraud. And in particular, both the check and the ACH and the wire fraud. And then I guess the last thing I'd say is there are also services that banks offer. And I'll speak to that a little bit as well. So good news out there is there are ways to help prevent fraud.
2: So certainly some good pieces of information thrown in there, Todd. I appreciate you touching on that initially. Now, you see things going up year over year, single digits might be expected, double digits, okay, that's sparking some red flags, but triple digits, I mean, that's unprecedented. So do you have any initial reasons or maybe rationale behind why these different things and different things of bank fraud are increasing?
1: William, I do, and I guess I'll allude to, or I'll cover a few. Certainly, there are more than this. I think several things have contributed to that. But let me first kind of start with when you think about specifically check fraud, that tends to be the most dominant form of bank fraud out there. And if you just simply think about a check, a check contains often the business name. It contains the bank account number of that business. It contains the routing number of the bank that that business works with. That is on every check. So when a check is used, there's obviously a level of trust within the system that you hope stays there because of that information that's out there. But once that check is more or less used as payment, there's a public aspect of it. And the unfortunate part about it is that information when public, and then you combine that with technology these days, and here's kind of what you can get. You have basically, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, criminals have the ability to, because of technology, simply create checks and duplicate them and using other information from other checks that are out there. Or they have the ability to take a check that has been stolen. And again, through the use of technology, change or alter what the check face is. The third thing, it's also technology a little bit differently. But criminals out there, once they have some of that public information from a check, they're out there and unfortunately, they sell that information online. And so there's the criminal and that they're selling it. And then there's a criminal that's buying it and then doing something with it. Those are a couple of things when you think about just what really happens in terms of a check. A couple of other things I'd mention though. Frankly, criminals are just, they're smarter. They're more aggressive. They use third party to help commit the crime. And what that does is it makes it more challenging to find the criminals behind it. And believe it or not, often, especially in check fraud, the fraud itself, they're often smaller dollar amounts, anywhere from a couple hundred dollars up to a few thousand. And what that does is it just challenges the ability to, one, find the criminals behind it, two, to truly prosecute because of the fact that the value that's potentially there is minimal, or finding the resources to help you actually do it. We have obviously great police force and so forth, but as we know, they're very, very busy doing many more things other than bank fraud. The other thing I'd just say is if you think about technology these days, everything we use technology for, I mean, one of the things it does is it just simply makes things quicker. Our computers run quicker, they're in everything we use. There's that element that it just speeds things up. And so, what technology has done over the years is it has given you the ability to put money into a banking system and then to move money within the banking system and to move money out of the banking system. And that happens all so much faster than it used to. Think about it. I can deposit a check by simply taking a picture of it with my smartphone. You have money in, I have a daughter that's in Chicago. Dad, can you then mail me money? The money's gone within 24 hours. So technology has done a lot of wonderful things, but the unfortunate part about it is some people have used that, frankly, against Really, the purpose of it. And then the last thing I can think of that I'd say, and I referenced this a little bit earlier with regards to mail fraud mail fraud has gone up significantly. And the correlation here is that people are stealing checks directly out of mailboxes late in the year around the Christmas time, holiday time. I was reading articles where criminals were breaking into the big blue boxes. That the united states postal service has you see them in parking lots again stealing things that are in there including checks and have even read about the fact that there have been internal mail fraud within the united states postal system in some of the bigger cities and all of that basically takes that check makes it public information for criminals to do bad things with it so those are some of the things that kind of come to mind william that i think are definitely impacting the rise
2: Yeah, so certainly a lot of different factors at play, and so if I'm a business out there, what can I do to prevent or reduce the likelihood of me falling victim to a form of bank fraud?
1: This is the critical part. I don't know that there's any 100% effective way to stop it, but there are some really good things out there, best practices, bank services that I mentioned that will certainly help to prevent it. The first thing I will say, and let me concentrate real quickly on ACH and wire. So again, that's kind of the electronic transfer of funds. If you are a business, you're doing business and that transfer of funds is electronic, I cannot underestimate or understate that verify requests for this. And what I mean by that is if you get an email and it could be from somebody that you do business with every single day, don't trust the email to basically be your verify. Trust the verify and do that by picking up the phone, calling the individuals that you work with, the business that you work with, whoever is on that other line of the transaction, call the people that you know, the names that you know, the voices that you know to confirm that. Because we've seen within the industry where, unfortunately, and this kind of goes down the cybersecurity side, on the other side of that transaction and that request, someone has gotten into that company's computer system And they basically are acting as if they are that company, and they're directing all of the email traffic and so forth. And so there is a legitimate criminal behind that masked by what you think you're seeing are the normal type of communications and email. So again, make sure that if you get those, that you verify it. And it's something that we have done from a banking perspective here, anything electronic transfer funds. We have a very set number of protocols that we follow, always verifying who our customer is. With regards to really check and ACH wire, the other thing I'd say, and it's very critical, you have to monitor your accounts every single day. Utilize online banking. Most banks, if not all banks, offer that in terms of a service. It allows you to daily interact with your bank accounts. You can see what's coming in and out of that account. And what that means there's a little bit more to it than just going in and watching your activity if you see a check clearing it's important to open that check up that image and look at both sides of it and really what you're doing by looking at your daily activities you are really comparing what your records your books show in terms of what's going through that account to what you're actually seeing so Going back to my comment about check fraud, a check may clear and it may be the exact check number, but if someone changed other things on there, then that check's going to clear and you may see, well, yeah, I wrote check number 2345, but they've changed the information on it. So it's real critical to look at all the information on a check. And I know I'm certain in terms of our listeners out there, they'll hear that and go, boy, that sounds like a lot of work. It's critical because if you have fraud, the amount of time you have to react to it is a very short period of time. But the other thing is, as I mentioned earlier, banks have a service called positive pay. And positive pay is something that will assist you in the monitoring of the account activity you have on a daily basis. I won't get into specifics, but it is a really, really good service. And if you are a business, you should have positive pay. The positive pay is a strong defense, but you need to do that kind of in conjunction with some other best practices. So, daily monitoring, positive pay if you're a business. And then just a couple other things that I jotted down. They're really kind of check and balances, no pun intended, but limit who has access to your check stock. The number of individuals who write checks, the number of individuals have access to check stamps, the fewer people around that, obviously limits the opportunity for fraud. Dual controls for check writing, venture online online banking and performing any type of activities. Good to have, say, one person who is initiating, another person who is approving. With regards to check fraud, I'd highly encourage businesses out there to look at alternative ways to pay. Business charge cards are a great source of or a great payment source In addition to that, so many of the cards today have cash rewards and other different things like that, that you can earn up and use in other ways. And we find that most vendors out there do accept charge cards. The other one I would mention are going back electronic payments. Again, proper protocols, electronic payments are strong and safe. And you don't have that kind of public information that you're pushing out with each check that you're writing. And then lastly, I would just say, you know, there's a part of it, you have to kind of be proactive Do the necessary things to protect yourself in the event that you become a victim of fraud. And I think that starts with choosing a good informed banker as well as a really good insurance partner.
2: Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And so, Peter, Todd has touched upon a lot of different areas of fraud that businesses are seeing. From an insurance perspective, what are some things that businesses can do to help protect themselves?
0: Thanks, William. You're right. Todd has really touched on a lot of ways to be able to prevent this. And we really believe that prevention is the best way to do this. But having said that, even with prevention, things do happen. So Todd really talked on five different areas, and let me cover those areas with you as it pertains to insurance. So the first insurance coverage you could buy is called electronic funds transfer or EFT coverage. And basically what this is going to do is it's going to protect the businesses from losses, resulting from an unintended electronic funds transfer. So a little bit what Todd was talking about when it came to ACH. We also have computer fraud coverage that can get purchased. And this really ensures a business against theft of money, could be securities, it could be property, but it's by someone that's unauthorized that's using your computer system. Now it can't be an employee because that would be employee dishonesty coverage, but someone that's gotten into your computer system. We can also look at forgery or alteration, and there what we're doing is we're covering losses that result from forgery or alteration of a check, a draft, a promissory note, or any similar type of note. We can get into social engineering coverage. Social engineering really is protecting a business from losses resulting from schemes arising from impersonation. It could be vendors, could be executives, could be clients. And often you'll see this done maybe through a phishing email, as an example. And one that we're seeing more now is what I call customer payment fraud. And that's simply protecting the business. If a customer of your business thinks that it's you that's sending an invoice out, and all of a sudden you pay one of these bad actors the money, thinking that you're actually paying it to the customer. So when I use the term bad actor, that's a cyber term that we use these days. And really, it's just the person that's committing the fraudulent activity.
2: That's wonderful. And so, if I'm a business, how can I determine what coverage I might need? And really, how would I come about to come together with the right package of policies? Because certainly, you know, all those things can certainly sound scary, but I can imagine, especially talking to an insurance master like yourself, maybe a policy may fit better towards some businesses and other businesses. And so, I guess, what would be a good rule of thumb in your opinion?
0: Well, I think as we talk about this, there's really a couple different policies that can come into play. There's a crime policy that can cover some of these exposures, and there's also a cyber liability policy that can cover some of these. Some of the coverages overlap between the two, and some are distinctly different. So if we start with a crime policy, that's going to be where we're going to look to find electronic funds transfer coverage that we talked about, and also where we're going to find that computer fraud coverage depending on the insurance carrier, some carriers do have a component of social engineering that they can offer on that policy, some don't. So it's just really gonna depend on the insurance carrier at that spot. But then you can also look at a cyber policy I guess one of the things I would point out in a cyber policy is to be very careful because a crime policy is pretty well defined within our industry, and they're pretty similar as far as wording and things like that. But because cyber is relatively new in insurance compared to other policies, there's so many different policy types. So maybe the best analogy I could give you is if I was going to see Todd and Todd said, Pete, do you have a way to get to the bank today? And I say, yeah, Todd, I am all set. I have transportation lined up. So Todd thinks I'm coming to the bank, no problem. But what he doesn't know is, am I coming by bicycle? Am I coming in a Chevy Equinox? Or i am going to be driving over in a Cadillac? And I think that analogy plays well to a cyber policy because there's so many different types of policies out there and what they cover and so on. You have to be very careful on that. So as I look at that, let me talk about a cyber policy a little bit Some of the things that the cyber policy provides coverage for that aren't necessarily part of our podcast today, but just to touch real quickly on are things like ransomware where someone takes my system over, I have to pay them in Bitcoin to be able to take that back. Once they take my system over, once someone's gotten into my system, I have to get into forensics to figure out how they got into my system, where did they get in my system, and I have to notify people because I probably have personal identifiable information within my system. could just be my employees and it has all their information for payroll, as an example. I can get into credit monitoring. I can get sued by a third party because I left that personal identifiable information out. So A lot of different things that a cyber policy would cover, but pertinent to what we're talking about today, a cyber policy can also offer that EFT coverage that we talked about. And it can also have computer fraud in there. Not all policies have it, but some of them offer that. In addition, they can get into some social engineering coverage that we talked about, as well as that whole customer payment fraud that we talked about. So I guess what I would say in a cyber policy is that it can be a little bit broader in some nature because usually you're not going to see a crime policy cover that customer payment fraud. But be very careful because what I see is people get a false sense of security sometimes. I talk to them, like, oh, I have a cyber policy. But yet when you get into the meat of that policy and you start reading through it, you say, well, yes, you have it. But do you understand you're lacking these three or four coverages? So it's good that you have it, but there's a lot of other things that can get added on to it. And not all carriers can add those things on. So it depends the carrier that you're with. So I would say it's a very specific policy and be very careful so you don't have a false sense of security.
2: Sure, I could definitely see that. Thank you for breaking into the small little details, intricate details with that. I know that a lot of people can get lost pretty quickly in something that may not be a master at or that they're working day in and day out. So I appreciate that, Peter. And so do you guys have any closing thoughts as we think about fraud, any other things worth adding that we didn't cover today?
0: Well, maybe just a couple of quick thoughts. Number one, How do you figure this out? Because as you can see, this is pretty complicated and we're just scratching at the surface of it. So, I mean, I know as an agency, we've sent letters out to our clients telling them limits that they had, telling them what they didn't have. And then we certainly talk to them on a continual basis, not only about the insurance piece of it, but also what they can be doing, things like what Todd talked about to be able to prevent how that happens. So the short answer is just work with a knowledgeable professional, on your insurance that really understands the nuances and the differences between these policies and risks, because you can really get a false sense of security very quickly. And then one last thing that I would indicate is Todd just really talked a lot about prevention, but we'd encourage businesses to adopt an employee education component. So similar to how a business has a firewall with their computer system, we like to think of that whole employee training part as a human firewall And your best defense against this is working with your employees, training your employees on this so they know what to look for, and they can catch a lot of this before it ever happens.
2: That's wonderful. And do you have any closing thoughts, Todd?
1: Well, there's a lot to Peter's comment on this, and we really are just touching on the top of the iceberg here. There's a lot below the surface. Prevention truly is the key. But at the same time, though, I think, and I don't mean to say this to scare businesses and customers out there. But the fact is, it's probably a matter of when, not if. And so I think working with your business partners, bankers, your insurance company, agent, partner, they're great resources to implement, whether it be, to Peter's comment, basically plans inside the business, but also just inquire about the various services that are available, as well as best practice sharing. We get an opportunity to work with individuals like Peter, and we learn from them every day as we do our customers. In response to that, we continue to invest in our technology for our customers. There are simple things to do that are just best practices that if you're a company, I highly encourage doing those things because it's just going to take one thing. Positive pay, as I mentioned, if you're a business... It's a very inexpensive form of insurance on the account activity that you have. And one of your biggest assets is probably what you're holding in your bank accounts. And so it's a form to protect that. But it's also really critical to make sure that you're thinking beyond the prevention that in the event that something does happen, you've got that backup and that backup partner like Saginaw Bay Underwriters. So certainly, I'd encourage anyone to call First State Bank. We've got significant amount of experience here, both around the topic, but frankly, in banking. And if we can be a resource to our businesses out in the Great Lakes Bay region, we'd welcome the opportunity to talk to you.
0: William, I might just add one other thing, and Todd sort of made me think of it. But when he was talking about not if, but when, what I see is we see a lot of these type claims coming through our office. And what I've been sharing with my clients is that Most people think you buy an insurance policy so that when I have a fire in my building, I have coverage and so on. What I simply share with them is this type of a loss, you have a much better chance of happening than you ever have of a fire in your building. And yet most people think of insurance for those things. So this is just an area that is really exploding in the claims activity area right now, as Todd alluded to.
2: Yeah, certainly interesting, but I appreciate you touching upon it nonetheless. And thank you guys for both coming on today. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Todd.
0: Thank you, William. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast
1: and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com.